man, as we look around, our service and our, and our, and our church, our mobile church, is looking better and better each week. And what's really cool about this is everything that you see up here that we've set up, everything required one of your hands to put it up here. Everything is D- DIY, basically, up here. And so it requires, especially on a day like today where we're missing so many of our members, the fact that our team pulled this off and we're able to start service on time, praise God. I want to thank you for your service. And I think we're about five, six weeks in, and maybe for you, at the beginning, you were like gung-ho. You want to jump on every team. You're here at like nine o'clock and find that the janitor's not here opening our doors yet. And, and then like the weeks go on, and maybe by now, the initial excitement and buzz has like dulled down a little bit, and you're like finding yourself waking up like 10, 15 minutes later than usual, and you're like, wait, I have to go set up TVs and like, you know, different things today. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe by now, just the idea of planting this church and, and being a part of that process has become a little bit like worn down and, and just makes you a little bit tired. By now, maybe just the luster of, of that happening on the weekend has been superseded by the cares of the world, like your stuff going on at work, stuff going on at home. I may not know all of these things, but individually, there's a lot of different things going on with the people at our church. And maybe those cares of the world are distracting you from what's happening here on the, on the grand scope of things. We at Savior, we're followers of the way. We are those who hold eternity and the hope of eternity in our hands because of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. We are following that way. And even though we are people who hold that eternal truth, the way to eternal life, we have that hope. But maybe some of you find yourselves struggling sometimes. Like you don't want to come here. It's harder to put a smile on your face. It's, you're just physically tired just from all the different things going on, you're just worn down. The idea of holding hope, an eternal hope, is not just some flighty thing. It's something weighty and, and, and something that, will, that is so valuable. And that hope is supposed to produce in us a joy, a happiness, something that anticipates something in the future, Jesus coming back and us being with him, no pain, no tears, no sorrow. It's not like we're always walking around with this hopeful and like glad look on our faces. We go into struggle and there's a lot of different things that we wrestle with. We're not always content. We're not always facing the sky waiting for Jesus to come back with a smile and a glow on our face. That's not really what life is like. For us, as we're learning, Christian life is tough. Planting a church, it's tough, it's war. And if you keep your ears open for people around you and the lives that are actually going on, there's a lot. There's a lot that's going on. There's a lot of battles underneath the surface. We learned last week about the extent of our love, how we're supposed to aim everything at loving each other and serving, not for ourselves, but for the other. But when you're sitting here holding on to that hope, wondering why life is so difficult, and why there's such a struggle, 
How come old battles are returning now? Right before the launch, there's things that are distracting you and taking you out of the game. There are things that, that you, you hope and you wish that you could just think about God and invite people. But the people that you've been working to invite on August 11th are now like dodging your texts. They're not really answering. They're not answering the way that you've hoped. How come that's happening now? What do you do with that? It's hard enough being okay with ourselves, but to love others, it seems impossible sometimes. To love enemies and to, to have a relationship without fear of punishment or failure in our lives seems a distant possibility when we are not motivated and when we're struggling like this. And maybe I've completely missed the mark and you're not feeling this way at all, but you know it's coming. At a certain point, you will find yourself on Sunday morning, find yourself midweek on a Wednesday, just dreading the rest of the week. Are we really those who have the hope and the joy and the happiness that we're running after? Are we those who are really marked by our love for our enemies and our, and our ability to serve one another to, to our cost, to our lives being put down? Is that us? I think sometimes loving others in this way that, that, that Christianity seems to call us to seems impossible, especially when you're feeling alone. You come to this room and you don't feel really connected with people. And, and just the honest reality is we've been together only five weeks. And so some of us are actually working on these relationships and rebuilding new friendships and, and really getting closer to people that we don't even know. At the same time, we're charging after Jesus. And it's a difficult process. Sometimes we show up and we're just like, man, I just want to get this, get the tasks done and leave, get service done and I just want to dip. That's how we feel sometimes. Hopefully, we don't always feel this way. But I just want to put before you the reality of that happening. We will always fight and struggle to hold on to this eternal hope. To love one another and to do good works with, with a pure heart, with a heart that's joyful. We'll always fight for that. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 12, that during the last days, the love of the people will grow cold. I find that odd because if we look at the type of work that's required to even put church together like this, it seems kind of odd that, that Jesus says it's love that will grow cold, not our ability to work, not our efficiency will decline, not our willingness to volunteer will decrease. The love of people will grow cold. That's what Jesus says. And the idea, the willingness to even come to church, that's not what decreases, but you will be here, but the love in your heart will just decline and it will be a greater fight. The love of many will grow cold. And our passage today in Hebrews gives us a solution. Our passage today in, in Hebrews, we're just going to be reading three verses. It's just going to be two points. And the second one will be slightly longer than the first is my anticipation but our passage today deals with this and just presents a way that we as Savior community, we as believers, can come and overcome this. This letter is, is from an unknown author. It was likely sent to a Jewish audience, Jewish believers fighting for their faith after 
after some time has passed. And the encouragement given to them is instructive for us. It's written in this letter and it was sent to encourage them when all the world around them was raging against their faith. There was internal strife of doctrine and belief being contested over and this letter was given to them and the encouragement given to them to increase their love for God, love for neighbor is instructive for us. What the Holy Spirit called them to walk in is recorded for generations of believers like us to follow. We pick up in the text today where the author is is reminding the believers what's been made clear by Jesus' work on the cross. When we trust in him and what he's already done for us, our hearts are cleansed from evil, it says. We are promised eternal safety, that hope we talked about right at the beginning, in Jesus. The passage here will say, we must hold fast and grip tightly, cling to the promise without budging. And he says, we do this because he's the one who made the promise. The one who made the promise, he is trustworthy and he will keep his promise. He says we have to hold fast because God is trustworthy. Let's read verse 23 of chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Stop there. The first point is let us hold fast. To start, there's just a few observations. I think the frame of let us to start this passage is is significant. The writer of Hebrews is speaking to believers. There's no one excused from this group that needs to hold fast. Both the noob and the experienced believer are both being called to grip tightly and not let go of this truth. And the thing is, the idea of of their faith, a faith in something, a belief in Jesus needing to be held firmly or clung onto, that's not something that is common. People just think, well, once you believe, you believe. Once you sign the membership covenant, you read it carefully and you say, yeah, I believe these things, you believe, and that's it. Why would you go back on something you believe unless something crazy happens in your life to prove that what your faith in, what you placed your faith in is wrong? But that's not true. The writer of Hebrews and the Holy Spirit seems to think otherwise and says the imperative, the command in this passage is for you to hold fast to not let go because someone, something is going to try to tear this out of your hand and you have to hold on, cling, hold fast. Let us as believers hold fast to this hope, this hope in Jesus. Our faith will be tested. Our faith will be tempted. Our faith will be attacked. Many different circumstances will challenge our hope in what God promised for his people. It'll tempt us to not love one another, not do good works, not encourage one another, not be present. It'll tempt us to do all these things. It'll tempt us to doubt our eternity and the eternal hope that we hold for things here on earth. When we struggle financially, we hold fast that we are promised true riches in heaven and God will provide our needs. When we have health issues, we hold fast that we are promised this body may may die and decay but we'll be given a new body in Christ, perfected in Christ. When we're wronged and we want to get payback, we hold fast because we trust Jesus. He promised that he's a just judge and he will deliver 
righteous justice when he returns. When we fall into sin and fail, we hold fast that we are promised Jesus' death and resurrection forgives us and all we have to do is repent and come back without fear. We hold fast to those things. But this passage says you have to hold fast without wavering. But wavering or lacking the holding fast will come out in the way we confess our hope. It's not just this hope, but it's, it's, a, it's a confession of hope. It's an action. The way that we live, the way that we speak, the way that we think, it'll all reveal and indicate where our trust is. So, it might look like when you have financial difficulty that you stop giving offering or you fudge the numbers on taxes, how much you declare. You start struggling with those things. No one else knows, just you. But right now, the immediate pay is, is higher, and so the, the reward is right there. That action reveals that you're not holding fast to the promise that God will provide your needs, but you can do it. It might look like withdrawing from community when we sin and we fail. Instead of coming to DG, we stay, we stay silent when we go, or we stay silent when people reach out to us. And we're not holding fast to this promise that we are forgiven and all we have to do is come back. How can we hold fast? I believe that this imperative, this command is given to us because holding fast to these promises are not going to just happen accidentally. It says hold fast because it will take our intention. It will take us putting effort into this. We must aim our hearts and minds to this task. This most certainly means that we, pl we play a role in resisting unbelief when these and many other trials come. When we find ourselves overwhelmed and tested, we're called to pray and ask God for strength. God, help us hold fast in this particular situation. We're called to always take what we observe and experience in life all these trials, and bring it before God and the promises he has in his word. What, is, what does God's word say about this situation? And what does he promise for me? We hold fast to those promises. And I think what we have as most valuable and the center of our content today is we have this community of faith who has experience in many of these same trials and we get to ask them, how has God delivered you? What does God promise for me in this situation? Can you pray over me? Can you remind me what God said about this? And we get to come together. I set up this entire beginning section of, of how we hold fast to maybe present in your minds, at least it was present in mine, how do we do this? I just shotgunned a bunch of examples like financial struggle or health issue or we're wrong then we want to retaliate and when we sin and we fail and we want to like shrink back and, and, and hide in a hole. But some of these things we don't do with thinking. We just reflexively act. We get wrong, then we lash out. We sin and then we recoil, we hide. So the Bible says, hold fast. The Bible says, yeah, pray and ask God for strength. He's trustworthy. And we're just like, okay, I understand that, but how do I do it? How? It seems impossible.
especially when we're not motivated, especially when there's stuff going on in our lives. It's tough to have our wits about us and, and aim and hold fast like this passage says. And I think the writer of Hebrews knew that when he's asking. He says, let us hold fast. And then he moves on to a command that actually brings the whole community in. Because this community, this let us hold fast, it has us in it, but it doesn't give you any command in relating with one another. It just tells you as individuals, as a group, to individually hold fast. At least that's what it seems like. Trusting in the Savior who is faithful and worthy, but you do it on your own is what it seems like, but the writer continues. He reminds us of a huge resource and essential power we have in the community of faith. Not just in a Savior who is trustworthy, but a community he's given us to wrap our arms around together. All too often, I think we feel worn out, tired, alone. No one can, no one can relate to my situation, what I'm going through. I'm unable to love God and love people right now in this season, but no one knows and no one really cares. And as the world around us experiences their love growing cold, we see it too in our own hearts, in our own community. But Savior and his community can fight back. We can overcome this. He says in the following verses that we should consider or think deeply and figure out ways we can stir up the affections of the believers in our community for God and his people to help them love God and love people better. He says this can happen by meeting together often to help encourage one another. And as the day Jesus returns gets closer and the hearts of people grow colder, he says meet more, meet increasingly. Okay, read together with me uh, verse 24 and 25. He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The second point is, let us consider how. The first was, let us hold fast. But the second commandment is, the second point is, let us consider how. The consider here is not passive. It's not accidental. It is something intentional that we do, that we consider deeply about how we can affect change in others around us. And before we get deeper into considering how, I want to, there's a misconception I want to address. I think all too often this passage gets, gets read and the emphasis of this passage is the not neglecting meeting together. I think I've been guilty of it too sometimes. It's like, hey, we're starting a new DG and so don't neglect meeting together, Hebrews. And just, everyone just looks at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't want to neglect meeting together. So I'm just going to, I feel more like guilty or pressured to go. But I think that that's not, the, I think the assumption then is, and that I've held before, is that if believers just meet together for service or DG or some sort of hangout, then the stirring up of love and, and good works just happens naturally. It just, God just does it, is how I feel. At least my action reveals that I think that it just happens automatically or naturally or accidentally. I just show up and God just does it. 
But I think that's a misconception. The stirring of love and good works, it doesn't happen naturally. It says right at the beginning here, let us consider how to stir up one another. And the how we do that is by meeting together and encouraging one another. Make no mistake, this passage says that there is a connection between stirring up and encouraging with not neglecting meeting up or positively said, meeting regularly. But what kind of meeting is it talking about? Because what's clear in this text that at that time when he was writing this to this church or this group of believers, there was a group of people in this group that received this letter and was like, I don't feel like I need to meet up so often. I have stuff going on. I have my business. I have my family. Do we have to meet up so often? It sounds like there's a, people who, there's a group that felt that way. There's a group that felt, oh, I can believe Jesus at my own pace, on my own. And I think the same thought goes on in our minds. I'll just go to the next hangout. Or like, uh, who's going? Oh, I have too much going on right now to, to go to DG tonight. I'll just go next week. I, I spent all day at, at church on Sunday. I don't need a fellowship after. I, I'm just going to go home and just take care of my thing, you know? I think these same thoughts, like the writer says, as is the habit of some that neglect meeting up. There is a group that just decides that, that, that feels that this is not as necessary. And the writer says, no, you can't neglect meeting up. You need to meet even more as the day comes. As hearts grow cold, you'll need to meet even more to encourage one another. And I think when this, the writer of Hebrews talks about meeting together, I don't think he's talking mainly about Sunday service like this either. Maybe back then when it was, when there were all smaller, you know, house fellowships with like 12, 15 people, maybe he's talking about those gatherings. But here in, in our context, I think most of the time we come together, a preacher comes and delivers the word, you hear it, and we have some conversations and we have some opportunity to serve, but we don't really have a chance to get deep with anybody and like really ask how they're doing. That doesn't happen here. The stirring up of love and good works in each other and the encouragement of one another doesn't happen really on Sundays as often as we'd like. There are some passive ways it happens where I'm seeing somebody else praise God and that encourages me, sure. But I don't know if that person who did that was considering how he was going to stir up love and good works in me. That's not an obedience to this commandment. It is a grace of God that happens on a Sunday worship. But I think this meeting is talking about something else. At least for us, it's calling us to something else. And so for us today, our ability to encourage one another, to stir up love and affection for Jesus, for his people, is very limited on Sunday. But in smaller groups, a group, you know, just you and somebody else, or a group of two or three, five or six, DGs of 12 or 15 people, it's a different story altogether. When, so when this passage says, let us consider how, I think it reveals to me, one, a lack of meeting outside of Sunday, but also an attitude I lack sometimes when I do come to a gathering of believers. I don't think I spend enough time, I, I'm just confessing, I don't think I spend enough time thinking and considering deeply about how I can stir up love in somebody else when I, when I go to this meeting. 
How am I going to stir up and encourage this person to love God and love neighbor more by coming here, by going to DG? How am I going to affect change today? I don't consider that. I don't ask myself that. I just go. I just come and go thoughtlessly. I have a few shallow conversations and sometimes, like once in a blue moon, I go deeper with somebody and intentionally find myself desiring God more. And I'm like so thankful for those moments. But I wasn't involved in that. I was just a happy recipient of that. I don't know if you feel the same. It is a sincere desire of mine and a commandment from God in this passage that we consider how. That we consider how to stir up the love and affections. Love for God and love for neighbor. For love and good works in each other as a community. So, true to what the passage says, let us consider how together. I'm going to give you ten of them. And so I recommend that you just write down things that maybe just kind of resonate with you, and I'll pr- I promise to provide this list. Um, it's not in any particular order, but let's just start, okay? Number one, this is the consider how, okay? Number one, start with prayer. Pray before every meeting with someone, believer or unbeliever. Ask God to show you how you might encourage or stir up love in them. Pray that God would reveal to you people that might need this stirring up or encouragement. Pray that he would power your service and purify your motives by the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit. Number one, start with prayer. Okay. Two, keep your eyes peeled on Sunday for anyone sitting alone or needing encouragement. See how you might cheer them up. You know, remind them of God's love and, and pray. Pray for them. You have no idea how many times as somebody who's in, in the leadership that hears about people on Sunday and even in a group this small sitting by themselves and wondering, like, does anyone care about me? And that is not something that we should be hearing. But it happens. Number three. Once you have a person in mind, Consider what might brighten their day, specifically them. Ask God for discernment on that. Okay, what would motivate them to get back into the fight? Where might they be struggling? Where might they need prayer? Where might they need encouragement? On an individual basis, think about them. Consider deeply how to motivate them to love God more and love His people more. That task is on you, brothers and sisters. Number four, is there something I can resource Is there something that I can buy or gift somebody to improve their service? It might be getting, I don't know, a new set of like cooking knives or whetstone to like, you know, sharpen their knives. Like, you know, a container to carry stuff to and fro if there are people decorating and stuff. I don't know. Some people like they would just not buy it for themselves. But if they get gifted it, they would love it. And they would it would just encourage them and spur them on to to serve God better here. And it just requires a few people looking and paying attention to those people to figure out what they might need and you might be able to resource it. What about your house? Can I invite people over for a meal? Can I become a host for DG for a short season? How can I resource that? Is there a skill that you have that you can teach or improve in somebody by investing some time with them and they can use it to bless 
God and his people? Is there something I can resource? That's four. Number five, create fellowship opportunities. Now, we're good at this most times, so I'm just going to reference some of that. Like, we just post on Facebook, like, I'm doing this, you guys want to come? You know, just, I think we need more of those. We need more just spontaneous, casual fellowship hangout opportunities. And dovetailing with that, we need people to answer those casual fellowship opportunities, not just look at it. They all see the post on the side. It's seen by everybody, liked by two. No one's coming. That's so sad. No one wants to post anymore. But if we collectively together decide, man, we're going to just involve everybody in our lives. That's a vision of Savior. That's a vision of Savior Community Church. Not to say like Sundays, it, it, that's it. But everything I do, I want to show that I worship Jesus. And you know what? I'm going to go to Costco and pick up stuff for, for church. Anybody want to come? You know, like just anything. Involve them. Day-to-day life. Come together and see how you can encourage them to love God and love people more. Take one Saturday a month if you're like busy on the weekdays and dedicate that to go hang out with church members. Lead the charge. Create an event. Say, I don't know. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to be at a poolside. Here's the address. Boom. 12. Come. Let's see who comes. We're going to have like a random group of people there and that's fine. At the end of this list, I'm going to go and kind of go through a list of hangups that you guys might have. So keep them in mind. Number five was create fellowship opportunities. Okay. Number six, call someone and have a short conversation with them. I mean, let them know you're going to call them. Give them a, give them a heads up. You know, don't just find their number somehow and then just call them. That's weird. Don't do that. And And maybe just guys to guys and girls to girls, right? Just to call somebody, okay? Pray for them. Ask them caring questions. Look, this is not done enough anymore. Like, do people even use their phones for anything other than like, yeah, meet me there. Wait, I can't find you. Where are you? Okay, bye. You know, like, we don't know how to communicate with one another anymore. But then to be able to pick up the phone and say for like two, three minutes and just, hey, how are you? I just wanted to call you and pray for you. Don't want to take too much of your time. I'm going to call you at 10 o'clock on Tuesday. Is that cool? Hey, it's 10 o'clock on Tuesday. You're not answering your phone. I'm going to leave a message. You know, just something. Call and have a short conversation with them. It's not done enough anymore, but man, it's unlike the rest of the world. The way that we love one another can be totally distinct. Number seven, go visit someone who lives further away or distant from the group lately. Okay? Okay. Take some time after each service to to think about who you saw at church and who you didn't. Look Look at the Facebook list, at the people on that list, and then who you didn't see on Sunday for the last like two or three weeks. Like, reach out to them. Arrange a time to go and visit them and then rally people to go with you. This can mean like have lunch with people nearby. The Diamond Bar crew, I remember, had lunch. I don't know if that actually happened, but I missed it. Indian food, I hope it was good. Stuff like that. Have lunch with people around you. Like, hey, I work in the Fullerton area. Anybody want to come and have lunch? And then I would assume a lot of people would even be down to drive to your area and just come. You be the rally point. You lead the charge and come together to encourage one another to love God and love people. Number eight, be more thoughtful at DG. Please 
go to DG with prayer topics in mind. Come, come with that in mind. Go with intent to stir up love in somebody else. Share. Don't just look around when we say people volunteer. Come, lead the charge. Ask caring questions during DG. Go before DG. Go to dinner before DG. Stay after to invest in somebody new. Maybe go have lunch or dinner with somebody from DG, like a new person each week. I can't imagine like, yeah, a brother declining. Another brother coming up and saying like, hey, you know, I, I don't know you that well and can we have lunch sometime this week? I can't imagine anybody declining that, especially in our group. Now, I don't, I don't imagine the sisters being, being wanting to decline that either, the opportunity to get close that way. Cultivate friendships. This is number nine. Cultivate friendships with aim to stir love and good works. Now, this is like, have a friend that's dedicated in your mind, I'm going to build this friendship with the aim of helping them love God and love neighbor. This could be an existing friend. Maybe it's somebody else that's new. And this means things like confessing sins to each other. You set the tone for vulnerability. You, you draw them closer to Christ. You encourage them. You spur them to love God more through this. Ask for prayer requests. Pray for each other on the spot. Don't, don't delay it. You have your prayer requests ready. Go evangelizing together. Go do services together. And then while you develop that rhythm, post it on Facebook and say like, hey, me and so-and-so are going to go on Starbucks and like awkwardly talk to people about Jesus. You want to come? And pray that people will come. Number nine. Let's cultivate friendships with aim to love, stir love and good works. Number 10, partner with one or, one or two people to go and encourage somebody. Years ago, we did this as a part of DG, and we've had some really cool and interesting results. Um, I think it was, it was me and Joe Kim who were partnered up, and we were just supposed to go and find random people to encourage. And at the time, I think it was two of our brothers that were about to get married. And we're just like, I don't know why we had this idea, but we're just, let's go get them massages, like foot massages. Like we all understand that brides are like upset and, and just, you know, trying to like figure out everything and they're crazier than usual. And then so the, the husbands-to-be are like stressed out too, but no one's going to like allow the husband to like go get help during that time because, you know, the bride has it so much worse. And so we just decided, hey, let's go have lunch, let's go have dinner. And then one of us would be in hiding and then we'd just pop out and then like scare them. I don't understand why the scaring part was necessary, but we did it. And so we took turns scaring Pat and Jason and then we just like jumped out at them, got them a massage and hopefully it relaxed them before their, before their wedding. I don't know if it helped, but it was a cool way for us to like go and encourage and do something totally unlike the world. Maybe the world does that now, but back then people didn't prank each other like publicly as much. But anyway, like just gather together in your DG and two or three people put your heads together and just like, how can we go encourage somebody? How odd would it be if like, I know all of this has been angled that you do this, but think about it. If something on this list, someone came to you next week and said, I just wanted to encourage you. 
I've been thinking, and I feel like this might encourage you. This might really help you serve God better. And I really feel like this would help you love God, and that's why I did it. How would you feel as a recipient of that? Would you not feel a love that is distinct and unlike the rest of the world? I think it's true. We can do this. So hang-ups. I just gave you 10, 10 things with a bunch of things subordinated under it. This is just us as a group considering together how we can stir up love and affection for God and his people. But maybe some of you are like, well, I don't know anybody here. I don't know people. So I don't know, go befriend one person and use them as a resource to go, like, I almost said attack, um, encourage everybody. But start that relationship. And honestly, if you don't know anybody here, come talk to me. Let's do it. I don't know. Let's, let's just figure it out. You're awkward. Maybe that's the hang-up. I'm awkward too. It's okay. When a bunch of people are together and they're awkward, it's not as awkward for those that are involved. Outside looking in, it's awkward. But just, it's okay. We'll, we'll be all right. I've never done this before. Okay, well, that should not, never be a reason for you not to do it. If you haven't done this before, technically, that's more likely that the world doesn't do this either. And we're called to be unlike the world in the way that we love one another in the community we're building here. So let's do it. Let's try it. I'm not gifted in this way. I'm not as direct. I'm not as uh, encouraging or, you know, maybe you're not gifted in this way. But Paul says to, de to desire all gifts, to ask God for all gifts. And maybe this is an area where you need to ask God, God, please gift me so I can be an encouragement to those around me. And I bet it's not really the case that you're not, you're not gifted in this area. There's a way you're not applying your gifts in a creative way. And if you need help with that, let's, let's put our heads together and let's figure out how we can be an encouragement together. I don't have time might be a hang-up. And if that's legitimately true, maybe you and I should get together and talk after service and we'll really see if you don't have time. But I bet you you have time to like do the things that you love doing, like checking stats of sport teams or like highlights or like Pinterest boards. You have time, okay? I'm just saying, look, Something that really helped me simplify this understanding of using gifts, I've led membership classes often, and I ask people, like, what, what kind of spiritual gifts do you have? And nine times out of ten, people are just kind of, like, looking at the floor because they don't know what to say about spiritual gifts. And I really appreciate our membership videos at Inverse, and now we're able to import them and use them for Savior. Gifts, the things that you're good at, things that you use to help others love God and love people better, that's a spiritual gift. How simple is that? Use your giftedness when it's used by God to love God and love people better. And whoever you're trying to stir up affections for God and his people, that's it. That's a spiritual gift being exercised. It's a vision of Savior Community Church being a place where every day during the week there's something we're doing together. So that not just for people who are here, but people who are out this, outside this door waiting to be invited in on August 11th. They'll find, they'll come, and they'll find like a group that like, does sewing or crocheting. I'm not even sure what the difference is, but they do that on Wednesdays, you know? People who are just like really willing to go and evangelize and talk to people. There's a group that does that on Saturday nights. There's a group that comes here, and I don't know if we're allowed to use the basketball court, but plays basketball out here, maybe. You know, just a group 
a church, a community that is so devoted to the Savior in all that they do, but at the same time so obedient to this call in encouraging one another, you'd be leading the charge in, in stirring up affections for God and for people and others. That's the kind of community. Because at the beginning, I told you this hope that we have in Jesus, we're supposed to hold fast to it regardless of the circumstance, but life is hard and it's only going to get harder. As we launch this church, you might experience so many different relational issues, family problems, financial hardships. You might experience all kinds of things as we get going here. If you're really praying on your knees, doing damage for the kingdom, the enemy is out there and he will come after you. But as that happens, we have this community we can take refuge around. Because I'm going to need you guys and you're going to need each other and we're all going to need each other to encourage each other more as the day comes. Look, when, the, when Hebrews, the epistle was written, compared to now, we are so much closer to the day of judgment than they were. And the exhortation for them was, more and more as the day that Jesus comes back gets near, when he's going to judge the earth and rid of all evil, until that happens, the invitation of them coming in and knowing this Jesus, knowing this hope that we are called to hold fast to. So during that time, meet with one another, increase love for God, increase love for neighbor, and go out and save the world. Bring them. Come to know the Savior and be the community. That's our vision. That's our goal. So let us hold fast to this hope. Let us consider how to, to stir up one another in love. Let's read the passage one more time before we close. Verse 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us hold fast to our hope in the Savior. Let us consider how to build a community that stirs love for God and love for neighbor. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving us and also extending the call, the invitation for all those who do not believe yet to come and, and know the Savior. Help us as believers of the way, the followers of the way, to build, starting now from the foundational stones that are set, a community that desires love for God and love for neighbor in a way that is so unlike the world that it demands answers. Help us to be a church not just led by the servants and leadership, but truly as your word has designed it for the saints, for the very brothers and sisters that are occupying these seats to be ministers, to consider how we may stir up love and affection for you 
love for neighbor in each other. So that day by day, week by week, by the power of your mighty spirit. A power that is able to transcend any of our hang-ups and the things that make us hesitate or our fears or things that make us uncomfortable. Would you lean on the hearts of the believers and with joy would they obey and find that their joy increases through their obedience? Would Savior Community Church be a church that creates a home where all those outside of our doors can come and know the Savior through all of our thoughts, through all of our words, through all of our actions, and find that this community is so in love with the people that are in it that they want to be a part of that. They want to come and meet Jesus. Would you build that in our church? Would that vision be something that all of us can get behind? Help us to not get caught up and remain just on the details of logistics and how to set up this room, but Lord, would you help us to care for our souls and the souls of those around us, those that are sitting next to us. Extend your grace and gift each of these individuals that we may become a community that honors you together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.